Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is another episode in our NBA Wheel of Fandom series, and today we're going to talk about the Dallas Mavericks with our guest today. Back at it again with the Dallas Mavericks superfan, writer of Mavs Moneyball, and co-host of The Gunshot. Please welcome back, Lauren Gunn. Thank you guys for having me back. I, uh, I'm i honored to, to, to make it back, so I, I'm excited to chat with you guys and discuss the madness that is the Dallas Mavericks as of late. Man, we have a lot to get into today. Jalen, big time Dallas Mavericks talk. Yes, sir, bro. Literally from the minute we started this series, we were going down names of people that we knew we were going to pull back for this series in terms of teams. We literally didn't think of anybody else besides Lauren in terms of talking about this team. Not because she's the only Dallas fan we know. We might have a couple in the books, but this is the one who we know is going to give us the real, give us the the nitty-gritty of the Dallas Mavericks. Let's start with some of the nitty-gritty of the Dallas Mavericks, talking about last season in particular. 2020-2021 season, go down in the first round to the Los Angeles Clippers in seven games. Definitely a step up from the previous year. Still went out in the first round, but I think that there were some things that we could pull away from this past series that should be high indicators of things to come. But last season, 17th in points per game. Oddly enough, but probably a good sign in a weird way, ninth overall in opponents' points per game in the league. They were ninth in offensive rating and 20th in defensive rating. Really interesting how those stats kind of contradict themselves, that their Mm -hmm. defensive rating is so low, low, but they were definitely one of the better teams in terms of points allowed. This is a team that ended up moving on from their coach and Rick Carlisle, something that has been – um. I guess relatively debatable since the move is taking place when also considering that Jason Kidd was the new hire. Um, Donnie Nelson that uh, was the ex- executive a year ago as well, and he is no longer there as well. This is what we call the true definition of cleaning house. <laughs> so with that taking place, Lauren, let's start with just last season. Mm-hmm. Based on what you saw last year from this team, how they performed during the regular season, the the postseason, of course. What would you give, what grade would you give your team for how last year went? Oh, man. Gosh. You know, short answer, I'm going to say just a flat B. No minus, no plus, just a flat B. Um, and I guess it starts with the end, the end result. Obviously, no one wants to go out first round, but being able to take the Clippers to seven – um, with Porzingis underperforming and, and Luca playing the way he was, showing people that he can, uh, perform at the highest stage and that, and that he's not afraid of the, the bigger moments. Um, so that, I mean, those were all, the, or, well, Luca was a, a big plus. Uh, but knowing how, I mean, watching this season so closely and, and seeing the injuries and the COVID, um, struggles that this team faced, it was really tough because, a lot of teams struggled with COVID, um, but watching our guys specifically, seeing the guys, two starters that we had in Josh Richardson and, and Maxi Kleber, go down with COVID and come back and just not look like themselves, just struggling to get their legs under them. Um, it was really tough to see, especially since, I mean, Maxi specifically started off the year as one of the top 
three-point shooters in the league in terms of percentage. And so um, that was really awesome to see him kind of come in, and but then to, to just lose that out of something that was just out of his control really was unfortunate. So considering all the challenges that they faced and then seeing that they went into the first round against a team who a lot of people are, who follow the league had coming out of the Western Conference, uh, considering the state of the Western Conference at that point, uh, was was encouraging, especially since this was a relatively new team. Um, and just given everything that we had known about the team at that point. And so it was very frustrating. I was at game six. I wanted us to take game six. We won game five, coming home, had an opportunity to close it out. And so it, I cannot tell you how much it pained me to lose that because the second we lost that game, I did not feel good about it going back to L.A. I don't think anyone did if you were pulling for the Mavs. So um, that really sucked. But given everything you weren't supposed to win that series in the first place. To go up 2-0 really made a statement. Um, just given all the challenges that they had to overcome, I'd give it a beat. So, Ryan, taking that into account, you know, from a wide view, I think one of the biggest things that we can take from this is what Lauren said beforehand in terms of the series in particular. Two years back-to-back of having the one team that really you just don't match up well with from a personnel standpoint is already tough enough. But like Lauren said beforehand, the other thing to point out, point out too is at least with the state of the league at the time, this was also the team that you would have assumed was like the number one seed in terms of like where their projection to win a championship was. So for you, where what letter grade would you give them taking into consideration, like Lauren mentioned, the COVID stuff? the mere fact that this was a team that definitely needed to take a step forward but may not have been dealt the right cards. Uh, just just where do you stand on that in terms of your letter grade? I have to agree with Lauren and give them a B. I think this is a – well, this is a team that made the playoffs for the second year in a row. We saw a lot of good things from this team this year. Just looking at the team overall, Luca had a great season, and he showed that the future is in good hands with how great he's becoming – I think he honestly could have the potential of being the greatest European player of all time. I think he can surpass Dirk Nowitzki, another Dallas Mavericks great, to become the best of all time. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. took a massive step in terms of his role on the Mavericks as he ascended to become the second option for the Mavericks. I think also Jalen Brunson significantly improved this year. Chris Porzingis, I think during the season, he established himself as a 20-9 guy. But I think the big thing for him is if he can continue this production, which I think he's capable of, especially with what we've seen from him in the offseason and trying to get better. But they had a competitive playoff series with the Clippers, like Jalen mentioned earlier. I don't think that this Dallas team has peaked yet because I feel like that there's more that we need to see from them. Yeah, I think that when you grade this team, you there's so much that you have to take into account in ways that I don't think we've had to with some of the other teams that we've talked about in the series so far. I think maybe Boston is the only other one where we've had to slap the weird year tag on like how we evaluate this team. And so Dallas is intriguing because not only was it a weird year, but I think the offseason is what made things even wackier in terms of the fact that they dominated headlines very early in terms of after making their exit, there was a lot of movement that took place. There's a lot of things that came out um, about the front office that were interesting to say the least. And 
Lauren, that's actually where I want to go with you because mm-hmm. you talked about this on your podcast pretty frequently over the last couple of weeks or so. But in terms of the Hoop Talk audience, of course, no one has a real gauge of what um what your opinion on some of this stuff has been unless they've been tuning in. Mm-hmm. So if we go across the board, right, you bring in Nico Harrison, right, as your new, you know, president of basketball operations, so to speak. He's the guy making some of the big name calls interesting guy in um in, in some of his interviews too but we'll maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit further um you bring in Jason Kidd at head coach which I feel like it's it's its own microcosm of stuff that you can look at whether it be the allegations that relate to him um his stint in Milwaukee um whether or not he actually improved and from a coaching standpoint with his time spent with the Lakers there's a lot of different things that you could look at just from Jason Kidd. So you lose Carlisle, you lose Donnie. This is the new regime that you have there. What are your feelings about the state of the front office right now? I know we'll probably go a little bit deeper into this a little bit later on, but just, I mean, this is how the off season started was cleaning house. So how do you feel or how did you feel? You can go whatever route you'd like to, in terms of where this team is heading directionally from an up-top management standpoint right now? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty with this front office because we just don't really know what their identity is yet. Uh, in previous years, the Mavericks were incredibly predictable because everyone had become so accustomed to to what their moves typically were. And so I personally am still trying to figure out where their priorities are and, and what what things that might be reported are kind of that need to be taken at face value and what really is a true example of, of the, the direction that they're heading. And so um, they've said a lot of the right things. I guess I'll start with uh, moving on from from Donnie. That came to that was a real shock because Donnie has been around for for, for my entire life and he has a great relationship with Luca and with Mark Cuban. And so to see them actually pull that trigger when a lot of people, and I, I agreed, a big change needed to be made. I just did not think that they would go that big. And so I was pleasantly surprised that they were willing to take drastic measures to try and really change the direction of this team. Um, but then the Rick Carlisle thing coming out r- immediately after was shocking and um, just alarming because you never want to have – like a some overhaul is good. You don't want to be in the headlines that much. And when it's a daily event that you're opening up your phone and you're like, oh, God, what do we do now? It's it's <laughs> not a good thing. And it just shows, like, the rest of the league is looking at your team like, ooh, dumpster fire. I don't want to be there. Like, that's a mess. And so going into an off season, having all of this, going into an off season, And Rick Carlisle, I mean, the people that don't have relationships with him, he's very well respected. And he has a good um reputation it, I, I guess it depends who you ask because there are some players who just really butt heads with him and that has come out more and more as time has gone on since he left but um yeah it was kind of like it wasn't a good look and this was such a pivotal offseason for us uh, people that follow the Mavericks have said that this is the most off- important offseason in Dallas Mavericks history and I don't disagree with that at all and it I mean we can get into that in a little bit what it has been and might still be but um but yeah with with this significant change I really liked the Nico hire I thought kind of getting on the train of hiring um people that are affiliated with shoe brands or just brands in general 
is the right move or agents kind of hopping into that rather than kind of where team certain teams have been uh, in terms of where they would previously hire GMs um, in, in basketball, basketball heads of basketball operations. And so I, I liked that shift, but um, the kid hire was, was controversial to say the least. Um, but it wasn't all that surprising because Cuban likes to hire people that he has relationships with and that he knows exactly what he's going to get. And so I think everyone can say that on paper, um, as an X's and O's guy, Jason Kidd might not have been at the top of the list, but in terms of relationships, when you get a LeBron endorsement on Twitter, I mean, that's exactly what they were going for. They wanted someone who's going to come in and try to use their relationships to get Lucas some help because they know they're not the biggest market, even though factually and sales wise, they, they are one of the bigger markets. They're never going to be looked at as a big market. And so they have to get creative and go, go about things in a different way because they still have no draft assets and they still like, they have to do something different. And so I'm, I, I keep saying with the kid hire, I try to look at the positives with it, but also you have to recognize that in playoff, in the playoffs, there could really be some moments where everyone's like, oh, how's that relationship going between Luca and Kid? I don't, I haven't seen anything that's going to, that leads me to believe that that's something that will happen. But Luca wants to win and he's a very, like, emotional guy and he's going to let you know when you've done something wrong. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how it shakes out. But, um, yeah, I guess with this new, I, I do feel hopeful with this new regime. I just, I'm still trying to figure it, figure out who they are. So I want to stick with you on this front because one of the biggest things that stood out to me, and I actually want you to elaborate on it a little bit further because I'm still trying to wrap my head around some of it. But some of the things that have stood out to me more so is uh, Jason Kidd has been, I would say, relatively vocal about the kind of play style that he wants Mm -hmm. this team um, to kind of run with next season. That was one of the most interesting things to me. Um, can you kind of elaborate on what that is or what exactly you heard in terms of this and how you feel about it? Because I think it's a good way to segue into the uh, free agent moves that they made in terms of kind of building upon what kids talking about for this team. For sure. Yeah. So I expect him to play one, play the young guys more and two, play with a lot of pace. I think he's going to be looking to move the ball and just trying to get everyone involved. He's made it no secret that he really wants Porzingis to go back to New York Porzingis and um, and just really get him involved. Because, uh, again, one thing that, that was well-known after Rick Carlisle left was that he told Porzingis, and Cuban backed Porzingis with this, he told Porzingis to stand in the corner against the Clippers and mm-hmm. just take what comes. And Porzingis has said – it was also very interesting, I want to add, that Tim McMahon um, noted that Porzingis did exactly what he was asked to in the playoffs and took it – knowing how it was going to affect his reputation and how people were going to say that he was a non-event. He took it and did what was asked of him. And um, and when Tim McMahon was asked, well, would Porzingis welcome a trade? He said that Porzingis, his current stance is he would he would be OK with it. He wouldn't like, hate it, but he's he knows that he's not in a position to walk in and say, I want out. I'm not the guy. That's mm. a misconception and a false rumor. So. Uh, I thought that that was really interesting, which also, again, kind of translates into this new situation. Uh, and I want to note that that when Jason Kidd went over with the whole squad over with Mark Cuban to go have Luca sign his his supermax extend supermax extension, 
he also took a side trip to Latvia to go visit with Porzingis and really get to know him more on a personal level um, and kind of just be in his environment with him and really try and improve that relationship and, and solidify that relationship. So those are encouraging things if you're a Dallas Mavericks fan and you want one thing that you you need is Porzingis to get involved because whether he's in the long-term plans or not, he's got to be producing because you're if he's not in those long-term plans, you're not going to get very much return for him. And so I'm looking for kid right out of the gate to involve Porzingis and get him looks that he's comfortable with. I've spoken a lot and said, look, Porzingis might not be the guy that's going to go battle down on the post and whip out this super elaborate post game, but you know where he likes his shots. And I mean, he can score the ball. You've just got to give him his looks. And so if kid can identify those spots, then maybe we can really get things going. And at the end of the day, Luca is not the type of guy that's like, you know, I don't want to play with him or I don't want to play with this guy because we don't get along. Luca just wants to win. So if Porzingis is engaged and he's producing and he's feeling good about his role and what he's bringing to the table, they will win. And because Luca is that good, like you're not going to be out of the playoffs. He's that good. And so if Porzingis is engaged, they're winning. That relationship, I believe, will naturally kind of come back to where everyone wanted it to be in the first place. And I think that's a, I mean, I think the philosophy here in terms of moving forward is that everybody wants uh, I and I don't know if you completely side with this, but my belief from what I've gauged from Mavs fans is that everybody around Luca simply needs to play a tick up because one of the biggest things that has stood out to me, especially when you look at, you know, the, you look at the five year Supermax deal and obviously we kind of all knew he was going to sign it, right? That mm-hmm. wasn't really the complication of it. But specifically, when you see what he did with the Slovenian national team, right? The first thing that you think, think of, especially because they had certain players missing, like Goran Dragic didn't play, right? right? Stuff like that. And they, they, they almost meddled. If it wasn't for Australia, you know, I mean, we, we could be talking about them holding at least bronze at this point. Right. And they were actually highly anticipated to face the U.S., which was something that a lot of people were going to be pretty huge for as well. So, but what I'm going to say is, uh, based on that, is it's clear that Luca does not need some like crazy squad around him in order for his teams to be successful, right? I think right. that that's been clear over the last two seasons in particular, but I would say also on a national level in terms of talking about facing the world, right? He's obviously showed that he doesn't need branded talent in order to be able to be, you know, to be able to lead a successful team. So, Mm -hmm. Ryan, I'm going to start with you in terms of us talking about free agency specifically because I think piggybacking off of some of the stuff Lauren said about the up and down play style, the fact of just being able to get more guys involved. Um, We've talked about the helocentric offense of Dallas plenty of times on the podcast before and in terms of you want Luca to be that guy, but he cannot drag everybody with him once we're talking about playoff success. So obviously one of the bigger signings um this summer in terms of the Dallas Mavericks was retaining Tim Hardaway Jr. That was huge. Ryan, you've been b- really bullish on Reggie Bullock's the the Reggie Bullock pickup. They bring in Sterling Brown and they re-sign Boban Marjanovic to what I would say is actually like a pretty fair deal for uh for him in comparison to what I think his market value was or at least what they were saying he was eligible for so um I mean you also pick up Moses Brown via the trade that sent Josh Richardson to the Celtics which was one of the the interesting dominoes that fell that uh Ian our Celtics uh fan that we had on for our first episode of this this series actually said that that would be one of his top 
you know, all season acquisitions will be picking up Josh Richardson and Lord behold, there we go. But I, oddly enough, I think that that trade worked out on both fronts. Ryan, where do you stand on the Dallas Mavericks all season from a free agency standpoint? I know they didn't get to do really anything in the draft, so we have to focus more on the signings that they made. If I had to give them a grade for the offseason, I'd probably say an A minus. I think it was a good offseason for the Mavericks. They didn't make any big moves, but they made small moves that I think will be beneficial to this team. I think re-signing Tim Hardaway Jr. was huge, considering what he did for the Mavericks during the season and in the playoffs, establishing that second option role that he has the capability of retaining over time. Also signing Reggie Bullock and Sterling Brown I thought was great because they give you more three-point shooting from two guys who shot over 40%. Keep in mind, this Dallas Mavericks team was kind of an average three-point shooting team last year. They only shot 36% from three as a team. But I feel like they could still make a move in the offseason. But for the most part, it's been pretty good so far. So, Lauren, I want to piggyback off of something that Ryan said in terms of this team improving as a three-point shooting team. And there's been arguments that I've seen that state that Reggie Bullock might be more of the three and D wing fit that Dallas needed, need slash needed than what Josh Richardson was. Mm-hmm. I want to start there. Do you believe that that is accurate or do you feel like simply Josh Richardson had a down year, like factoring in the COVID stuff and things like that? Right. Or do you just genuinely believe that Reggie Bullock is a better fit and it kind of worked itself out? I'd say the the last thing you said. I think that they're two completely different players. When we went and got Josh Richardson, the expectation was that, uh, you know, he was going to come in and bring this. He was going to be this 3 and D guy, but he was going to have this element of playmaking. And um, I have been told by about as close to the Josh Richardson situation as you can get that Rick Carlisle asked him to move the ball and not playmake. He wanted him Mm -hmm. to move the ball and just kind of flow with the offense. And so that was a little discouraging to hear after that situation had kind of, you know, he, I, I think it was a great pickup for Boston. Let me just throw that out there. Uh, any situation that has gone awry, if you can maximize on it, it's a great pickup. And so Josh Richardson is a guy who's been, who's been a starter his entire career. And so then he comes to Dallas, um, kind of gets involved and then he gets COVID and then is right before the playoffs, four games before the playoffs, he's benched. And so, how are you supposed to expect a guy to um, – and I believe me, I've said my share about Josh Richardson, how frustrating it was because you had high expectations, and it just mm-hmm. wasn't that. But to hear that you were then asked to just move the ball and not do one of the things that you're best at is really unfortunate. And what does that say to a guy in terms of what you believe in him? And so um, I just personally think Reggie Bullock is a better fit because we – you're not expecting playmaking from him. You're expecting him to be um, somebody who's going to pull out the clamps and who's going to knock down open threes. And so I I think that he's fully capable of doing that. He knows what his role is going to be. Um, And Tim Hardaway Jr. down the stretch kind of showed that he's not just, you know, this catch-and-shoot guy. He'll put the ball on the floor and kind of attack the rim. And so I think that will open things up for other guys, especially if, if our roster stays as is and Reggie gets that starting spot with Tim and with Luca. So um, I like what Reggie's going to do. And I, I also like what I feel like Josh Richardson is going to do with, with Boston. I think, uh, I think he's going to, you're going to kind of see more of the old Josh Richardson there, especially as COVID gets further behind him. And as he 
gets to play make in a, and under a different system. So, um, yeah, I, I like Reggie. I think he's going to be a great fit here. And, and Luca just has a knack for finding guys and, and giving them open threes. And a 40% three-point shooter is kind of exactly what we need. So I want to take something that you said about Josh Richardson and kind of apply it to, like, the next part of our conversation, which is about the free agency pool, right? Mm-hmm. And you were talking about playmaking being one of those primary things that you were asking Richardson to do, and he didn't get to really maximize that. Mm-hmm. And this was a, uh, I would say a weak free agency class, but one that did have a couple names out there that were probably going to be able to fill this role in maybe a better way than Josh Richardson could. And, you know, you look across the board, Kyle Lowry signs really quickly. Uh, Lonzo Ball is um, included in a sign-and-trade. That was pretty much the first transaction of free agency. Mike Conley returns to Utah. DeMar DeRozan is also moved in a sign-and-trade. Spencer Dinwiddie, similar aspects with him, with Brooklyn moving to Washington. And... The tricky part, you mentioned this a little bit earlier when you were talking about them, about Dallas being a, a not so glamorous, uh, free agent destination, I guess is the way that you, you, you view it. Mm-hmm. They still were one of like the three to four teams with max cap space. Mm-hmm. And this is where things get tough with me. I know this domino kind of felt actually earlier, like before this past season actually started when Giannis first, uh, first signed. Um, the extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. This is where it all, I would say, really started to um, hinder some of the teams that had max cap space. Um, Miami was trying to clear space for this purpose. Um, New York was one of the big teams that ended up making a serious pivot in terms of not really even targeting a superstar. I mean, depending on how you feel about Kimball Walker, but even that was a you know a strike from left field. Nobody anticipated the Oklahoma City Thunder to buy him out and then for them to be able to get him on the mid-level exception, I mean, essentially they didn't, you know, go out of their way using their max cap space as well. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the Dallas Mavericks who were in talks for some of these point guards at one point was in conversation with being like one of the lead or at least top three teams for Kawhi Leonard, which I always thought was kind of odd, but I guess, you know, everybody's done their due diligence when it comes to trying to, you know, go after a guy like Kawhi Leonard. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that from a Dallas Mavericks fan standpoint in terms of just like the marketability of your team, because I find it so tricky. You have a lead superstar guard in Luka Doncic. You have a, a Mark Cuban as the team's owner. That's been the owner for like, you know, about 20 years or so now that is willing and very actively, you know, putting his foot through the door in terms of wanting this team to be successful and be a championship-type squad. And I just find it extremely odd that every time that these kind of situations come around, right. it seems like you guys can't land the guy. So how do you feel about that? I know it's I know it's not the greatest topic in the world to talk about. No, it's no. It's a free agency topic. Like, one. Yeah, in a, in a free agency class like this one where the names weren't hot, like high end, I mean, Kyle Lowry is really – the top guy in this conversation, mm-hmm. I feel as though having that kind of money to play with kind of should have usurped everything. And in sure. terms, it didn't. And I just find that kind of odd. Yeah, no, I mean, God, I'm scratching my head as much as you are. It, it, it's one of those things where it's like, you've got Luca, like you said, he's 
depends who you ask. If you ask Mavs Twitter, they're all going to say he's top five in the league, but top five, top ten, wherever you have him. So one of the top players in the league, you've got him locked up for now five more years, and it was an, even going into free agency, it was anticipated that it was going to be five more years. You have this max money among all the teams that have max money. With the Our only real um, kind of competitor was New York, just given the right. size of the market. But we were like, okay, look, we're going to come away with somebody, whether Spencer Dinwiddie, Lonzo Ball, who I would have loved, but, you know, whatever. Um, there were so many guys out there. It was like, we're going to get somebody, and we just didn't. And so it it's truly just mind-boggling because you have to ask yourself how much of this was kind of going back to what I said before of, like, the repercussions of the massive front office overhaul where people looking at this like this is an unstable situation. Are people looking at this and saying poor Zingas was – a disaster. He's not a true number two. I don't want to go play with him. Like, what is the true outside perspective? Are people saying, hey, Mark Cuban's the problem? Because I've seen that. I've read that. And I don't know. That's something that I just don't know. And so they need to identify the problem because this was your offseason to spend the money and you didn't do it. And so right. it's really unfortunate because the re-signing of Tim Hardaway Jr., like, yeah, you went and then spent your money, but there were moves that they could have made. I mean, they could have they could have theoretically paid Kyle Lowry $30 million or they could have paid him, I think, $20, $27 million, and they could have cleared the money to pay DeMar DeRozan $25 million and reunite them both in Dallas to play with Luka and KP and still keep that together. They could have done that. And when they went out and hired Andrew Baker from the Brooklyn Nets, the cap whiz who found a way to sign Kyrie, KD, and DeAndre Jordan, it was like, okay, let's go. We're going to get creative. And then when the Josh Richardson trade happened, they were clearing money. We're like, let's go. We're making the money. Like, here we go. Things are falling into place. And then they just... Nothing happened. And so it's you really don't know. And it, it is frustrating as 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 a Mavs fan, because it's like I don't understand. And, and and going into this, it was like, OK, we're really banking on the relationships that Jason Kidd has. And we're banking on the relationships that um, Nico Harrison has. And we felt good about it. Nothing happened. And so I don't know where they go from there, because from now on, it's not that you can't go out and get somebody, but. It makes it a lot more hard, more difficult when you now have no money, no free money. Everything you have to move, you have to move the money around. You don't, you can't just sign someone into your space. So, um, I don't know that that problem has yet been identified. And, and until it is, I don't know what to expect. Yeah, Ryan, do you think this might have just been a simple case of like wrong place, wrong time in terms of having that kind of money for a free agency class that just really didn't fit the bill? I mean, like, where do you stand in terms of, you know, Dallas's uh, free agency issues? So I think the small moves could end up benefiting this team the most. Like I said, Reggie Bullock, Sterling Brown, Tim Hardaway Jr. I think you don't need an impressive supporting cast around Luka. You need guys that benefit the system that Jason Kidd has. And I think that those three guys will benefit the system. And then especially with Chris Porzingis playing out of his element, essentially, in the playoffs, I think he'll be able to work and become the Chris Porzingis that we know he will be. And I, I think you should figure out how to make him New York Chris Porzingis again. Because this is a guy that can give you currently 20 and 9. So if he can give you 25 and 12, I think that's a huge improvement. And especially... If he's able to shoot over 40% from three, that makes it even better. But I have a theory, and I think I know why Dallas is not spending all their money this year in this agency class. Think about the stars that are going to be in the 2022 
free agency class. Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. Like, that's four of them. This class, this free agency class is supposed to be loaded with great talent. I think this one, the 2021 free agency class, there weren't a lot of big names, but there were a lot of great second, third option role players, guys that can give you like 10, 15, 20 off the bench. I think this one, Dallas has to do everything possible to make sure that they get a big name because there are so many that are going to be available that I feel like even though they didn't get anybody big, essentially, in the 2021 draft class or uh, free agency class, I feel like they have all their options open to make something happen in 2022. I mean, I think that that's an interesting long game to play. Um, I I do find that interesting. Just, I mean, out of the, the guys that you named, I do feel like James Harden and Kyrie Irving aren't going to get their extensions. I just genuinely feel like they're, they're going to be locked up. The fact that they, Brooklyn's already made a move on, you know, re-signing KD, that just felt like the first domino to fall. Zach Levine, I'm going to let my Bulls fandom stay in his pocket right now in terms of that one, but I just genuinely believe that we have the best offer, obviously, from a contract standpoint. And they, I mean, the Bulls have showed that they're willing to spend the money, spend the money too much even, considering they were pretty much competing against themselves um, in terms of making the sign and trade for DeMar DeRozan. It still gave the man 80 mil. Um, So, I mean, that just goes <laughs> to tell you, that they're committed to trying to put a, you know, legit roster around Zach Levine. So I think it gets tricky. Um, I definitely think that if we look at the 22 class, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they move, um, in terms of attacking that. Lauren, I, I want to ask a genuine question. I'm, I'm seriously not asking yeah. this to be funny, but I have a question that I think, I think needs to be answered pretty, pretty legitimately in order to understand this Mavs team. Mm-hmm. Is Christos Porzingis a four or five? my point exactly yeah he he has to be the five you can't he has to be the five and he doesn't I don't think he I think he prefers to be the four Mm -hmm. but he has to be the five I mean we're we really are in in and this I feel like this past playoffs really showed how difficult it is to be seven foot plus if you're not as mobile as someone who's six eight Example A, probably Rudy Gobert is the better one, and then example B, Chris Stubbs. And so you just – you can get by, but you've got to have someone next to him who can – which is why I was so livid when the Rashawn Holmes deal got announced for what it was because, one, way underpaid. Agreed. And two, I agree. And two, like we had the money to do that, and that would have solved – just about every Porzingis, well, okay, I don't want to say every Porzingis problem, but that would have been huge. You could have put him and had him guard four, five, whoever the other opposing big man was. You just stick Rashawn Holmes on him because he'll he'll do the work. Mm-hmm. He's willing to, and he's shown that. And so um, with Porzingis, it, it's almost like whether he's the four or the five, it doesn't even, like, it, it, I don't even think that the Dallas even looks at it that way because they're, they're more looking at it as, like, okay, offensively, we just need him in a position to, to kind of pick and pop with Luca, whether it's pick and pop for three, pick and pop in the mid range, because we don't want him cutting. Uh, I mean, every now and then you want to throw him a lob, get him easy buckets, but you don't want him being right under the basket or necessarily down in the paint, crashing offensive boards. Like, yeah, you want that, but like in terms of 
injury prevention, that's very concerning. Every time he's down there and he goes to the ground or he gets banged up by someone, it's like, oh, God, is this it? Is this is it coming? You know what I mean? And so and then defensively, you don't want him down there banging with Joel Embiid, even if he's the closest physically that you have to guard him. Like last year, there was a game we were playing Phoenix and we were just getting dominated by DeAndre Ayton. And it was like. Oh, my God. And we stuck Willie Cauley-Stein on him, and that changed everything, completely threw him off. And everyone was like, Willie Cauley-Stein, whoa. And so it was just like, oh, my God. Like, you just – you can't – you can't put him in a position to be this um, – what is it? Defensive anchor or as much as you want him to be. The reality is he's got to be this help defense shot blocker because you just can't put him in a position to get re-injured. So let me stick with you. Let me stick with you on this real quick mm-hmm. because I feel like this is where things are interesting. Mm-hmm. What going into this off season? It's already pretty much over. So I mean, at this point, we're being reflectionary. But going into this off season, mm-hmm. which one do you feel like was more important to a to acquire a perimeter player, a perimeter guard to put next to Luca, or uh, yeah, no, I would say to put next to Luca in terms of this class. I think that's a little bit more important. Mm-hmm. Um. Considering that right now, uh, it sounds like there's just a lot um, of pressure on Brunson to be a secondary ball handler for your team, which I feel like is not bad, but I feel like you're asking him to be a little bit too much of somebody that he, I mean, that he, he is a secondary ball handler. Um, he is a ball mover, but I think Dallas may be asking him to be almost too much of like who he is. Mm-hmm. Or do you feel like it was better or it would have been better to prioritize some of the bigs in this class? I feel like there was more perimeter guys in this class, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's tricky with Dallas in terms of what, what to prioritize because from your analysis of, you know, helping out Kristaps, one could argue that things across the board could get easier for this team if you simply help Kristaps defensively because then he can contribute more on the offensive end. So for you, was it more about acquiring a perimeter player or a guy down low? Yeah, I mean, the argument can definitely be made for the big man, but I think mm. myself personally and any Mavs person you ask is going to say the secondary ball handler next to Luka because as the season drags on, you can just physically see the wear and tear that he is experiencing from having, I mean, especially the games where, where Porzingis is out, whether it's due to injury or just load management. I mean, the the um, the the weight that he's carrying is just, it's so much. And so... Um, and, and somehow he still finds a, a way to kick it into another gear in clutch, in the clutch games down the stretch. And so that's something that you wonder the long-term effects of that. Like, hey man, this guy's 22 years old. What's, what is that? I mean, those are going to be a lot of miles on those legs. Like, I mean, so you just, that is definitely something that's on a lot of people's mind. And, and this, I mean, Kyle Lowry obviously would have been great because we're trying to contend. We're trying to take a step up in terms of where we are. Uh, and expectation wise. And so that would have been great. Personally, I wanted Lonzo. He was at the top of my list. I wanted him so bad. And I just felt like he was a perfect prototype next to Luca. And so it, but also at the same time, Lonzo to Chicago felt like something that's been in the works for a very long time. And so, um, even though that didn't happen, I still felt like they were in a position to where they could have made something happen for Kyle to try and offer something that Miami couldn't. And that's where I kind of go back to the whole DeMar thing and still giving him close to the money that you know, more money than Miami would have given. Well, actually, no, Miami ended up giving him like 30, so never mind. But um, I don't know. They just didn't do it. And so, But it was definitely the secondary ball handler because we need someone to be able to pass off to. And, 
you kind of, I mean, we technically have somebody that we can throw, or we have guys that we can throw next to KP to, to try and at least allow them to really take the defensive burden off of him. But those guys are not going to take you to the Western Conference Finals, and Dallas knows that. And so their priority definitely was a secondary ball handler. They just couldn't get it done. Yeah, Ryan, I want to move over to you with like kind of a similar question. But, like, I mean, like, let's look at the class, right? So Lonzo goes off quickly. So, like, let's not even factor that in. I think Kyle is another one I don't want to factor in in terms right. of this conversation, just simply because of how quickly they sign, which puts you in a position where you have to believe that well, let's not talk about the league tampering because that's like a whole separate <laughs> podcast, honestly, on whether or not that even exists or not. But once you get down to the tricky you know, discussions of, like, Mike Conley, who Utah had to basically move heaven and earth for, right, in terms of, like, moving out guy like Derek Favors to clear up space. Um, the team is pretty cap-strapped in terms of, at this point, the only way that they could really improve is maybe moving uh, uh, Bogdanovich at this point. That's probably their best ticket to improving this team in any way. Um, and then you look at Spencer Dinwiddie, who took a smidge longer than I expected to mm-hmm. get signed. Um Two other guys who fall into this category for me from the guard position that took way too long to sign for me. Uh, Reggie Jackson took a minute to sign. I'm maybe just wondering if he was like in cahoots with Kawhi and just was like waiting for him to sign and then they figure out his number after and he got paid, paid pretty respectively. I think it's like 11, like 10 or 11 mil over two years. And Spencer Dinwiddie is the other one. Now from a sign and trade standpoint, this one gets tricky because Washington didn't have to do much. Would would Dallas have been in a similar situation? That's uh you know twenty twenty hindsight might say that there might be an opposite. But um if we're gonna focus on the perimeter guys, let's like focus on those that group in particular. We talk about Spencer, we talk about Conley, we talk about Reggie, and then Dennis Schroeder is the other one for me too. <laughs> that took us midget too long. That was crazy. And um, maybe even played himself um, if you ask the right people or ask everybody on Twitter, <laughs> unfortunately. So with that being the case, who do you believe in that group where I think things are actually a little bit more realistic for the signing? Who do you believe that Dallas, um, quote unquote, did not go hard enough for? The, the, the guy in this grouping that you felt like they had a shot at would have been a perfect fit for the team. And if you had to put everything else down, this is the guy you need to go for. Who do you believe was the best fit of that four that four player group in terms of Dallas's chances? I would probably have to say Conley or Dinwiddie are my top two options in terms of who would work best on Dallas. I think in terms of defense, you go with Dinwiddie, especially with how great of a defensive team Dallas has progressed to be. I mean, what would you say at the beginning of the podcast? Nine, ninth in opponents points per game, which mm-hmm. I think is it's, it's important to note because I think if you you get a guy like Dan Woody, if he's the same guy from before he was injured, I think Dallas has a legit backcourt that has a top five player potentially and a top thirty player potentially with uh, Luca and, and Spencer Dinwiddie. I just think that. It pretty much just banks on how Dinwiddie comes back from this injury. I think if Dinwiddie had signed with Dallas, they would have asked him 
to complement Luca as a solid defensive player, possibly a secondary ball handler. I think it would have been better to sign him over Conley, especially considering he's also getting up there in age. So do you want to take a risk on Mike Conley as opposed to Spencer Dinwiddie, who is slightly younger than him? So I think that with those were those were some of the main questions. But I think Dinwiddie is that guy that Dallas would have chosen. So Lauren, the same question to you because I think I I feel like maybe this question is not as tricky as I'm trying to let off. But the reason why I picked these four guys in particular, right, is Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, I feel like coming off of this injury is tricky, but I feel like when you when you think about the theory of Spencer Dinwiddie, I think he fits everything that you would want in terms of a point guard next to Luka, except for maybe the defensive upside. That's where the Lonzo Ball thing comes in. I know that's probably where most people stand on it because that's where that's my that was my biggest view when I was uh hammering down for Lonzo to Chicago because of how he would fit well next to Zach Levine. Um, but when we talk about Spencer Dinwiddie, the theory of Spencer Dinwiddie, I feel like is everything that you would want next to Luka Doncic. Mike Conley is an interesting one because I feel like he is not necessarily on the timetable that Luka Doncic is on, but then, uh, uh, I'm not the Mavericks fan on the podcast, but the question you would ask yourself as the Mavs fan is, uh, did the timeline already start? Because, um, <laughs> doesn't seem like, Zoo, like, doesn't seem like Luka's here to, play around anytime mm-hmm. soon in terms of, you know, taking his time with this one. So from a timeline standpoint, a guy like Mike Conley can step up and, and provide a handful of things by himself. Reggie Jackson's interesting because, Ryan, you talk about him being an ISO guy, but I think a lot of the stuff we learned about him from the playoffs would tell me that if you put him in a situation where he had to be a ball mover and a three-point shooter next to Luka, it actually wouldn't be like beneath him. Um, I feel like talking about him from a Detroit Pistons Reggie Jackson standpoint maybe would have you feeling a little bit more queasy about the fit. But I think what we saw with his his uh stint with the Clippers this past season, I think that that might not have been the the oddest fit in the world. And then Dennis Schroeder, I think from a locker room standpoint is where things get tricky. But the one thing I will advocate for him the most in terms of a fit on this team is. Lauren, you probably can speak to this better than I can. How did your team do when Lucas stepped off the floor for five minutes? Not the greatest, right? So I think about a guy in Dennis Schroeder who's been up for six men of the year plenty of times in his career, probably had his best time, his best stint overall, part of a three-guard lineup in OKC, where he also was typically the first man off the bench and was able to, you know, lead that second unit. So I look at that as all interesting fit. So where do you stand in terms of that group of four, Lauren, talking about who would fit best for your team moving forward if they were able to, you know, run it back? Yeah, so top of the list would have been Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, he, he just, people might not think about it, but he can really get his own shot. And he just, to have a backcourt that would have had an average height of six six and a half would have been truly fantastic. And so... Uh, I really like Spencer Dinwiddie. He's younger, obviously, than than Conley, like Ryan mentioned. Uh, he just he would have been solid. And and a, another guy who's been in that six man of the year conversation several times. Uh, and so, yeah, he would have been perfect. Um, again, I would have preferred Kyle Lowry and then Lonzo. But then after that, it would have been Spencer Dinwiddie. And and like you mentioned, taking those two guys out of the out of the picture, like you have to look at who was realistically attainable. Mm-hmm. Um. And as much as I'd like to include Mike Conley, and, and, and Mike Conley would have been my number two, um, I just, 
once Utah decided that they were going to pay him, I don't think anybody else really had a chance. And so three years, $72 million for Utah, like, the question was, and I had had, I had talked to a couple of Utah people multiple times, are they going to pay him? Is this new ownership group willing to spend mm-hmm. the money and kind of put their money where their mouth is? We'll have to see. And so they did that, which I think was the right move. They would have had a, they would have found themselves in a big hole if they had not <laughs> paid Mike Conley. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of then became, okay, well, let's look around. And, Dennis Schroeder, I just don't really know that a Dennis Schroeder Mavs combo would ever would ever <laughs> happen based off of everything I know about Dennis Schroeder and everything I know about the Mavs. I just um, don't know that that would have ever happened. Um, but the argument is there, like like you mentioned, the the case of what happens when Luca's off the floor. Can you rely on Jalen Brunson to kind of fill that role? I don't know, and so um, that that is a, a solid argument, and on paper it it makes sense. But I just it would have never happened with Reggie Jackson. Would I rather have Mike Conley for three million or three years, seventy-two million, or Reggie Jackson at the eleven million that you mentioned before? I mean, that's where it gets interesting. But I don't think Dallas. I don't really know that it was super likely that he was going to leave LA, and I also don't know that it was uh, that Dallas would have really entertained a Reggie Jackson. Um, I just, no, I don't see that. I, did, I, I couldn't have seen them doing that anyway. So it was really, it really became, okay, Spencer Dinwiddie at that point was the guy that was available. Dennis Schroeder, like he was available, but no, I, they would have never done that. And so Spencer Dinwiddie, it was like, you've got the money. You've yet to spend the money. Who, where's he going to go? New York has spent all their money. Chicago has spent all their money. I think after that, they even spent more money. And it was like, my God, Chicago, or let everybody Utah. else have a turn. Um, or you so, <laughs> Um, and so it kind of just seemed like there's no way we don't – how do we not get Spencer Dinwiddie? Like, we're the only teams – like, what? And then we just – and then Washington. And it was just like, oh, my God. And then when that fell through for, like, half a second, everyone was like, we're back. We're back. We're back. And it just – we just weren't. And so Spencer Dinwiddie would have been great. It didn't happen. Okay, so let me let me ask you this because mm-hmm. now we have to look forward in terms of this yes. team improvement. We've seen everything that they've done, mm-hmm. and we understand the roster that they have currently. But mm-hmm. do you feel as though you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier? But like, let's kind of like really break down the nitty gritty of this now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel as though a Kristaps Porzingis trade is the only pathway to this team improving moving forward? Because the things that stand out to me is, A, outside of Kristaps Porzingis, I think it is very interesting who you would say is your next best trade asset, considering that Tim Hardaway Jr. is probably your next best player, but his contract just became extremely unfavorable depending on who you are trading on the other end of that. And the draft picks thing. Yes. So from a from a standpoint as A, using them as assets would B also being able to use them to acquire actual players to play for your team. Right. So do you feel as though Christos Porzing a Christos Porzingis trade is the only way for your team to truly improve? Or or the other option is do you believe this is simply on Christos Porzingis to just improve? Like for the team to be better, is it is a trade involving him a better route to getting better, or is it just simply Kristaps Porzingis being a better player? Uh, I think as of right now, it's Porzingis being a better player, and and is that reasonable to expect? I don't know. I really don't know because again, I've yet to see how Kid plans to use him, um, and so that's going to be really difficult. But um, 
But yeah, I think right now, if you were trying to, if you if you wanted to trade Porzingis, you would have to really realistically look, take a look around and be like, what are we going to get back? Like, what are we going to want to get back? And is that realistic? I don't know. And so, I personally, I don't think they move Porzingis. It would really blow my mind if in like the next month they moved him before the season starts or two months. That I just don't see that happening. Um, but they're going to give him an opportunity, and, and I don't know why they wouldn't. Uh, they're going to give him this opportunity to show that he is still a just a, a solid talent in the league under Kidd playing with Luca because on paper there's no reason offensively why Luca can't get him 20, 25 points a night somewhere mm-hmm. in there. And so, and I, yes, last year he scored 20 points, but if you watched every single game, it was like this dude could easily put up 30 points in this system. He's just not knocking down the shots, and he did shoot a career high and true shooting percentage and I think maybe field goal percentage or effective field goal percentage but it was like if you were really watching him he wasn't being used he just wasn't and so it was like man I don't know what specifically needs to change and at that point it was like nobody really considered that Carlisle was was a change that was going to take place but in this system there is an opportunity for him to really put up points and so I want to see him again get those looks that are suited for him and that he likes taking and that he can knock down with consistency because the second you try to make him do something that he doesn't really want to do it's like his whole flow just goes out the window and it's like anyone's would you know you you try to if you get Ben Simmons out there and you're like hey all you're gonna do is shoot threes the whole game that's probably not going to go very well and so getting their guy getting a guy to their spots I think is just is key and if he's putting up those points offensively look Dallas has never ever ever been a defensive team they probably never will be they just mm -mm. they don't prioritize defense the same way they prioritize offense and it's just that's just the name of the game and so as much as it's like okay well we're never really going to be competitive until we take a significant up step up defensively I don't think that they necessarily view it that way I think they're like if we have enough multi-dimensional scorers we'll outscore you we may give up one 15 a game, but if we're scoring 120, 130, sorry. And they do believe in Luka that much that in the playoffs, he's going to be able to, to win you games. And if you have 40% three-point shooters and enough multidimensional scores, which I think they're hoping that Tim Hardaway Jr. kind of continues to transition into being, hoping that Porzingis can show that this season. And also another guy who doesn't really get talked about too, too much is Dorian Finney-Smith, and he mm-hmm. is playing for a contract this season. And so... I've seen some, I mean, we all see the workout videos of some of these guys, but he is looking like he's trying to add some things to his bag in terms of being more than just a 3 and D guy and really more of someone who's willing to put the ball on the ground, attack the rim, trying to create their own shot, because that's the one thing that, you know, the biggest thing that we need from him next. And so um, as of right now, they're going to go with the same group. I think it, there's a there's a chance that Goran Dragic's still on the table, still kind of makes his way in here, and that significantly changes things, even though he is up there in age. Uh, but yeah, there are a lot of changes that could still happen. Um, and and as of right now, the for Porzingis specifically, you've got to just get him in his spot and see how he he, he translates. Because if he doesn't look completely different, then you're going to have to trade him at some point, and it just then becomes of are we going to have to attach a bunch of assets to him or can we trade him for someone that's also in a bad fit somewhere else? Like it just, you just, they have nothing to lose right now. You can only hope that his value increases. 
So, Ryan, let's piggyback off of that for a second by talking about Chris Porzingis from a trade value standpoint. I'm pretty sure throughout this series we have said his name at least three times um, in some kind of trade package of some sort um, over the course of these uh, couple of Wheel of Fandom episodes that we've discussed. Do you feel a similar way to Lauren that simply this team has a better route of improving via Christos Porzingis improving or have some of these trades that you've taken a look at? You're more the trade guy on the podcast when we talk about these kind of transactions. Do you feel like some of these trades that have been proposed have a better chance of improving this team in a way that Christos Porzingis simply playing a tick above where he's at right now could take them. So I think that if Chris Porzingis can reach that level that I said earlier of being a 25 and 12 guy, I think that this significantly changes things for Dallas because we know how good of a player Chris Porzingis is. This is a guy who is seven feet tall and shoots threes. So if you can get Porzingis back to the level that he was at when he was in New York, I think that's a huge win. Now, I think he'll have to be fighting for that, like, second option role, like I mentioned earlier, uh, with Tim Hardaway Jr., because, trust me, Tim Hardaway Jr. proved his worth last year in the playoffs as a guy that can significantly step up for your team. And Chris has Porzingis, the only time, the only great game that he had was in game two when he had a 20-point game. And he was shooting the ball pretty well from three. I think he had three threes in game two. But I think that's going to have to be the big thing going forward. If Chris Asperzingas can play a tick above what he is playing at right now, I think it will be great. But but like we said earlier, it depends on the system. I don't want to see Chris Asperzingas sitting in the corner and then cutting to the rim. Because like Lauren mentioned earlier, if he goes to the rim and he falls down, that's where you start to get concerned, and trust me, you don't want to be concerned with, with Chris Asporzingis again, considering he had an ACL injury that took him out for a season. In terms of trade packages, I think in order to obtain Gordon Drogic, because I know, I think it would be great to re- reunite the Slovenian teammates, Gordon Drogic is currently with the Toronto Raptors. Mm-hmm. So, I think you should get Pascal Siakam, and Goran Dragic for Chris Porzingis, Tyrell Terry, and Josh Green. I think it seems reasonable, and considering that Pascal Siakam has been in rumors that he's going to get moved out of Toronto, I think timeline purposes, Goran Dragic is not going to be there for long, considering he's 35 years old. If you are able to get rid of Chris Porzingis, if that's the goal for Dallas, the only way that it can work is if you work with Toronto and see if you can reunite the Slovenian teammates while also getting Pascal Siakam. Lauren, I want you to respond to that because I this is my first time hearing this mm-hmm. in terms of this kind of transaction, and I find it interesting on both sides um, because Toronto has a center problem, which uh, goes back to my question to you earlier about is Christos Porzingis a, a four or five? Uh, people are under the assumption that Pascal Siakam is that that contract is looking kind of grimy. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, last season wasn't that great. Uh, you know, 
questions moving forward about whether or not he can actually be a one on this team in terms of a number one scoring option. The drafting of Scotty Barnes probably made the room a smidget awkward in terms of where to move forward in terms of that. Um, and obviously Gordon Drogic, you know, that's the other thing that's interesting with that. Um, where do you stand on that, that trade proposal? Like I said, this is my first time hearing this one. So mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of intrigued to see where you stand on it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, I like, I like Pascal and obviously I like Goran Drogic. Uh, with everything that I keep hearing with Goran, Dallas is like, they're not going to give up a whole lot to get him if it's via trade. And so I know that trying to incorporate a Porzingis deal is not something that they have any interest of. As of right now, I think they're waiting to buy him out or waiting for him to get bought out. And if that doesn't happen, I think that they might. Um, I know Toronto Toronto wants uh, Josh Green. They want Josh Green. We're not willing to give Josh Green. And so I think the, the, the package right now is uh, Dwight Powell, like Moses Brown, and maybe Tyrell Terry. I think that's the package right now that's kind of floating out there to get that, to get him in here. And I don't think Toronto, like Toronto, I, that's where the, the, the lock is happening right now. And so mm-hmm. I don't think now on, on the other side of, of potential moves that might happen, if Dallas were to make like a Lowry Markinen trade happen, the Pascal thing might be worth discussing because at that point, a Pascal Lowry fit is a little bit better than a KP Markkinen fit, even though they wouldn't really share the floor together that much. Mm-hmm. So personally, I don't think Dallas – the thing that's so weird is that they don't really know what they – as weird as it sounds, they don't really know what they have with KP right now because they don't know what he's going to look like. Is he going to come out and, like, really just, like, wow people? I mean, mm-hmm. I've heard people talk about – and, I mean, I've even kind of talked about it a little bit – of, like, long game – do you make this push? Because I'm all in on the push for marketing. I'm I'm a big proponent for that. So do you make the push for marketing now? Buy low on that. Porzingis comes out, has a solid season. The Ben Simmons thing hasn't been solved, and then you see a three-team trade. Send Porzingis to Portland, CJ McCollum to Philly, Ben Simmons to Dallas, and then you have a starting front court of Ben Simmons and Larry Markkinen. Is that something that you could see happening if you're Dallas? That that's like only maybe you need a few dominoes to fall, but is that something that you could see? And so – Personally, I think with Porzingis right now, they're not in any hurry to just to, to move off of that. And with Goran, especially from what I continue to hear, it does feel like Goran to Dallas is something that's like going to happen at some point. I think the buyout is like, I just, I don't know. I, I think that that's pretty unlikely. But, well, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that because some of these guys keep getting bought out that I'm like, what? So... Um, I don't want to say that it's it's impossible, but I think as of right now, there's going to come a point where Toronto, because the the, at the, re- the reality is the trade package that we're going to offer for Warren is going to be centers. Because we have a crap ton of centers right now. They don't have any. They don't have any, like, they don't have, like, true fives. They need true fives. We've got six. So um, I think that's what's going to end up happening. Yeah, first of all. Totally cool with trying to coordinate some kind of Laurie marketing trade. Um, right now we are stuck looking at possibly putting this man on the qualifying offer, and I am not sure where he even plays on this team in terms of fit. So um, if you want to help help me figure out a trade package, we can uh, go talk to the front office ourselves. I'm all down. <laughs> Number one. Number two, when we talk about this team overall, I do think that the Goran Dragic element of this, I feel like I would rather see Goran Dragic on this team in a trade that doesn't involve KP, I it feel won't. like I'd actually, I feel like I, 
I feel like with a player like that, I'd rather KP be around for that team as opposed right. to be included in the trade. Not that I'm saying it's a bad thing, but I, I know that the KP aspect of it from Ryan's perspective probably had a lot more to do with the Pascal aspect of it than it had the Goran Dragic standpoint yeah. of it. But in, in that trade specifically was Goran and Pascal. And I just feel as though if Goran is anywhere involved in the trade, I feel like I want to keep. I want to keep Kristaps around for that. Now, the Lori Marketing thing changes things a smidge, but obviously, again, the question then is, like, do you want Lori Marketing and Pascal Siakam in the same front court? Like, then that gets tricky, and do you even have the money to make all that work the way it sounds out loud? So um, I think that's really tricky in terms of what Dallas can do moving forward. I, the Lori Marketing saga is where we have to kind of, turn our attention to at the moment. I think that's the one that in terms of Dallas doing anything moving forward, they're the team that's in, you know, cahoots for being able to set up some kind of deal that takes place. I genuinely do not believe this is going to be a Bulls-Dallas trade, trade straight up. Somebody's going to get involved. I think we're just going to trick OKC into getting involved because, like, who's not? Like, if this, like <laughs> this is the year where, like, basically, you need a deal done? Like, yo, ask OKC to help us out real quick. Throw in, like, the 2027 20, second rounder real quick, and let's just, like, clean this up real fast. Mm-hmm. So, like, when in doubt, ask OKC. I feel like it's pretty much going to be everybody's play mm-hmm. um, throughout throughout the season in terms of making trades. Um, so, yeah, I think directionally the Laurie Marketing saga is where we have to point our attention to next in terms of talking about this team and making any improvements. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with Kristaps. I think that everybody continues to believe that Kristaps Porzingis is this team's ticket to getting better. I think that Kristaps Porzingis being on this team is their best chance to being a better team. But eh, we'll see. If Goran Dragic doesn't get bought out by Toronto, mm-hmm. which it seems like he's not right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How do you acquire him? Because I feel like there, it's the goal, right? To get, to get Goran Dragic on the same team as Luka. You could honestly give Toronto cash considerations if you don't have any draft assets. I think that's probably the best, uh, that's probably the only other way to go about it if you don't want to get rid of KP while also trying to get rid of Goran Dragic, which if Goran Dragic is anything like he was in Miami, then I think that he's probably worth a couple of picks and and or cash considerations. But because Dallas doesn't have a lot of draft capital, that's where I think the cash considerations have to come in. And also, like, you don't want to get rid of Josh Green. You don't want to get rid of Tyrell Terry. So you think about, like, who's left on who, – who's left as a viable trade asset. You have to look at the front court. And wait, look, wait, Lauren, hold up. Do you actually want Goran Dragic? That's oh, yeah. actually, actually the yeah. actual question we should make sure we're asking. Do, do you actually want Goran Dragic? We sure. Because I feel like that's the trick. So, if, so yeah. going with what Brian said beforehand. Mm-hmm. So, trade package-wise, so mm-hmm. do you feel as though he is worth what Ryan's saying? Because I feel like this is where things get tricky to me is mm-hmm. because – his age, the deal he just signed, this is where the cash considerations thing kind of got my brain turning because I don't think you're going to be able to do that. I don't think you're going to be able to pull that off because the deal that he just did in the signing trade, you're going to be throwing out a lot of cash. So I don't know exactly how that whole, the whole thing is going to add up. So I guess, okay, so we, we, we want Goran Dragic, but, okay, from a trade standpoint, how badly? Like, what are you actually willing to give up? You kind yeah. of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but what exactly are you willing to give up for going Dragic, though? 
Yeah, so there will be no picks involved because we have no picks to give. Um, and what it will be and what I've, what I continue to hear is, is the offer that's on the table is Dwight Powell, who's making $11 million. So that's a pretty big cap filler. Um, I thought Willie Cauley Stein would be in there because he's $4 million. So that kind of gets you closer. But as far as I'm hearing, that's not the case. So you're at 11. I think Moses Brown might might get in there, which puts you up to like 12, probably 13 with some rounding. And then I think they're going to try to do like Tyrell Terry. And so I know that they don't want to give away Josh Green, but they're willing to give away Tyrell if it means getting someone like Gorn to start getting a starter. And so um, I don't know if they end up having to include Willie, but maybe that's where that third team gets in, gets involved to try and kind of bridge that gap. Uh I don't know. I know the primary hope right now is that he will get bought out because Dallas is very aware that nobody else is bidding. It's just them. Right. So if you're Toronto, do you want two centers and Dwight Powell, who's Canadian? People keep bringing that up. Do you want <laughs> Dwight Powell and Moses Brown, or do you want to roll him out there and mm-hmm. have you know your 35-year-old point guard, your Kyle Lowry replacement, uh, who's taking minutes from Malachi Flynn? Do you want him making... Or would you rather have another young point guard in Tyrell Terry, who I think is a two guard, but that's another conversation. And then you're solving your center problem and maybe a second round draft pick. Or do you want to just like the choice is yours because Dallas is not going to cave and offer Josh Green. It's not going to happen. And they're they're very aware that the offer that they're proposing is a low ball offer. Mm -hmm. But for them, they've got nothing to lose. And so they're going to wait it out. They're not going to they're not going to increase their offer. They do have first round draft picks, but they're not till twenty twenty five and twenty twenty seven. Not gonna do that. Um so yeah, that's pretty much where it's at right now. That is the offer. But uh it's really just a matter of is Toronto gonna cave and say, Okay, we'll take Tyrell and not Josh Green. Okay, so we're gonna talk about the front office in a second. But I I, I wanna address this because this is the this is like the third time that I've run into this 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 circumstance, either with a fan on ca- on camera or in my DMs, but there is this weird thing about fandoms, and I, this is why I love this series in particular, because these type of names come up where I'm just like, why? Like, what's going on? The Lakers have Taylor Horton Tucker. Miami Miami Twitter will tell you that Omer Yurt 7 is the next coming, like, yep. for real. Yep. And Dallas is Josh Green. This is not, you're not the first person I've seen this for, but... You've harped on it very, very uh, specifically in terms of players that are quote unquote untouchable. When we talk about this case, we talk about making trades uh, uh, for the Mavs. Mm-hmm. Why is Josh Green untouchable? So I wouldn't necessarily say he's untouchable, but when you're trading for somebody that's a little bit older and probably more of a temporary addition, okay. they're not going to offer someone up like Josh Green, and that's because one, he's the like, only first-round draft pick that we've really had in a long time. Like, besides Luca, he's, like, he was the only guy that we were like, okay, this is an upside play. And whether that was the right pick or the wrong wrong pick depends who you ask, and it doesn't even really matter now. But the upside is there. We just haven't really seen, and we've seen the flashes, but everyone knows Rick Carlisle doesn't like to play rookies. So he sure. rarely got, he barely got to get out there. And so people would say, well, he had a terrible rookie year, but he just, he didn't get the opportunity. And so... Um, I've seen what he can bring in terms of what he brings specifically that we don't have. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not willing to part with that for a guy that just opted into a 
the fine or got his team option picked up and has one year left on his contract. So um, it's not that he's untouchable because I think if like a bigger move could be made down the line where it's like, okay, we're going to try to make a Ben Simmons play and it becomes Josh Green, Jalen Brunson, KP, like that's a whole other conversation to first round picks. Mm. Like that's a whole other conversation. But for something like this, I don't think he's viewed as something that's willing to be a part of the discussion. Okay, Ryan, I see the wheels turning. Okay, I just had the craziest idea. All right. Let's hear it. I love so, it. Man. So when you were talking about Ben Simmons, because I'm, I'm hearing a lot of Ben Simmons trade packages, mm-hmm. and I'm very unsure of what his value is as a first overall pick, but, like, he's a great defender. Mm-hmm. Does a Ben simmons chris Porzingis swap seem likely, or is this just a really crazy idea? If I'm Philly, I'm kind of pissed about it. If that's it, like maybe, maybe. No, there, but I'm there's saying there's obviously more, but like you know. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I, if, if, if Philly. So what Lauren mentioned earlier about the idea of like, was it? I guess it was CJ would end up on Philly. Kristaps would end up on Portland, Portland, and Ben Simmons would end up on Dallas. Like if that's the exchange, which is the one that I've been that that I've I've seen like more frequently. Like that, that addresses everybody need, but that like the the crazy part about it is like even though the math works, that's such like a a perfect <laughs> world trade, right? Everybody gets exactly what they want while getting the name that like will make everybody happy about it, and you still see circumstances where there's an upside for everyone. Like right, okay, CJ gets to be like a legit lead ball handler now. He might go crazy. Kristaps is like the definitive big dude uh for Portland. He's gonna go crazy considering the fact that like Dame wants somebody else that can go crazy next to him. And obviously CJ's that guy, but they both are in the backcourt. So obviously, you know, they get killed in the front court area because, you know, Nurkic is solid, but like, you know what I mean? From an offensive standpoint, there's still some limitations there. And then with Dallas Lauren said it before, and they've never been a defensive team before. Well, Ben Simmons, I'm not saying he's going to make all of us. He's not all of a sudden going to change the culture, and you guys are going to be a top five defense in the league because this dude goes crazy. But he instantly covers warts defensively for this team across the board that I don't think any other player in the league that's even remotely close to available could provide this team. Mm-hmm. So it's such a perfect world scenario. Mm-hmm. But... Yes, to answer your question, it's not as insane as it might have sounded on the surface, unless you're telling me that KP for Ben Simmons straight up is the deal. Then it might be bugging. I feel like it's only possible if you can include a third team. And personally, if there is a third team, it's probably Portland, because I'm not 100% sure what they're doing with Damian Lillard. I think if CJ goes, Dame goes. Because if there's a chance that his essential partner in the backcourt leaves, I think that's like the final straw for Damian Lillard, essentially. Because if you think about it, I mean, Dame was drafted in 2012, CJ was drafted in 2013. If you break that up, I think that's the final straw for Damian Lillard, which means that he'll probably want to trade. So I think, I think in a way, the KP Ben Simmons, uh, CJ McCollum trade will ultimately feel like a Damian Lillard wants out 
you know, news story. I right. agree with you. I would just, if I'm Philly, I'd be pissed if I made the trade that acquires CJ McCollum and then find out Damian Lillard wants out. Then I'm sick. I'm gonna be, mm-hmm. I'm gonna be a different type of angry. But Lauren, let's get into this front office real quick. Uh, we talked mm-hmm. about it a little bit earlier, but I, there is a elephant in the room that I want to address <laughs> really quickly because I, I, I did a little bit of research before I made the write up for this episode, but I mm-hmm. dug a little deeper earlier and this, Dallas staff is nuts. This <laughs> Dallas staff is actually crazy to me. Okay, so Dirk Nowitzki has the title of special advisor for mm-hmm. this team. This this is former Dallas Maverick, great, obviously, current Dallas Maverick, great, because he's always going to be a legend in terms of their organization as a essentially a consultant for this team, right? You have the superstar um, owner, I guess you is the way we're going to put this, and talking about Mark Cuban, they have God, Sham God, as the ball handling coach. Mm-hmm. This is like this is like stuff that really like really stood out to me. I'm, okay, Nico Harrison coming from Nike exec. I okay, I I I saw that one. That move in itself, from a connection standpoint, obviously was what it was too. And you go down, you know, you go down the list. They still have uh, Donnie Nelson's son, I'm assuming, uh, and Don Don James Nelson is the scout. scout. Nick Van Exel is on this scouting unit as well. Like, (laughs) you guys got some characters out here (laughs) in in this front office area. And it was really tripping me out. Okay, mainly the Sham God one. That that was actually where I needed to make this question, like, legit. Because I was like, okay, so we're just breaking ankles, huh? That's where where Luca's out here killing everybody for mom. He's out here practicing with tennis balls. I see him. And then, okay, obviously, and then you throw in Jason Kidd as the, uh, the head coach. So this, this is, this is the elephant in the room that I want to address. And, and Lauren, I want to start with you on this one because this is, this is so crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Superstar owner, crony head coach, solid roster playing beneath his expectations in terms of, I would say the group that you have around Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm. Anybody who listens to this podcast thinks I'm a set obsessed with basketball to the point that I do not watch anything else. I do watch NFL football. <laughs> this team re- reminds me of the other team, being the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. The trick with that is the Cowboys haven't won the chip in like 25 years, dude. Like, and that's that's a toughie. That's a that's a toughie when you got a certain kind of formula that you're like known for, but you also mm-hmm. have like a history that you're also like well documented for. Mm-hmm. So, can Dallas? return to any kind of true playoff slash championship glory with this formula because I am very unsure but at the same time it would not shock me when you have Luka Doncic as the lead player for this right yeah I mean it's it's tough because as of right now I mean they got a long way to go but it really comes down to what's the center of that formula. And the center is Luka Doncic. He's your entire timeline. He's your entire trajectory, all of it. And so it really, I mean, if you ask anyone that question, it really comes down to how much do you believe in Luka Doncic? And so personally, I do think he is that good and he elevates everyone around him that much to where they could become 
you know, return to glory and, and, and bring a title to Dallas. I do believe in him that much, but it's not going to happen with this current roster and they need to make significant moves to put them in that conversation. And so at the end of the day, like for, for the longest time with Dirk, it was like, we want to swing for the top tier big fish free agent because we need to get someone with Dirk. But, mm-hmm. and so we're swinging for like, I mean, Chris Paul, when it was his big free agency, like everybody top of the list, but it's kind of like, Hey, We've got our top of the list guy in Luca. He's already on our roster. Mm-hmm. We don't need, we don't need, I mean, yeah, we're going to swing for the fences with the, maybe Kyle Lowry being the top, top free agent in this year's class. If like excluding Kawhi, obviously, but, um, you, you, you can be selective with who, who you want to select to shape out and fill out the rest of this roster. And so, um, again, they've got a long way to go, but it's not as difficult when you've got that starting piece already. And so, mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where they go and where their priorities are next, but keeping the powder dry and banking on free agency because you have no draft assets is continuing to prove to not be a strategy that you can bank on and rely on. And so, I mean, this was really, and this was a perfect example of it. Nobody really had money to spend and Mm. they still didn't get anything done. And so they've got to, they've got to take this and say, Hey, we've got to get creative because Luca, I mean, the clock has been ticking, and now it's really ticking because he just put pen to paper. So it's time to get the because you just don't get guys like this. You do not get guys like this. So it's time to make something happen. And I don't know if it'll be this year, but within the next three years, they're go. I have to assume that they're going to get crazy and and really try and take a swing. And it could be a swing and a miss. I mean, the Porzingis thing was a swing, and and most people would probably say it's a miss. Uh, but again, it's only year two of his extension that we're about to go into. And so, um, I don't know. There's still time there, but they're going to continue to take swings like that. So we'll just have to see how it pans out. So Ryan, quick thoughts on the same question. Like, do you think that, like, with the, the formula that they have from an organizational standpoint, cause like I said, man, like these names really threw me off when I was looking across the board in terms of just like the cronyism that's taking place in terms of creating the, like this superstar front office. I'm sure like the round table meetings are insane. So with that being the case, like, do you think that this kind of formula is like, is, do you think that this formula is built in a way that can make this team successful moving forward? Because, like I said, the Dallas Cowboys make it a difficult, you know, circumstance in terms of that. But I do also think that basketball is so different in terms of talking about the talent pool having so much more of an influence on championship equity than the front than front office. So there is a chance that Luka Doncic could perform in spite of the front office. But like, like, how do you feel about it? I think the only way that they can get back to the championship is if they right the wrongs of 10 years ago. Here's what I mean by that. Lauren, you remember after Dallas won the championship, they wanted to clear out cap space. There's a great SB Nation collapse episode that I will highly recommend and we'll put it in the description below. Everybody go check that out. I think you guys will kind of get the gist of what I'm talking about. They get rid of a couple of big guys that helped the championship team win in 2011. What happened since? They've been going after big-time free agents. They've been trying to have all this cap space to try to go after these big free agents, and they usually don't end up with them. That's the big thing, because 
I have faith that Dallas can be able to return to prominent glory like they did in 2011. And even in those, even with those early 2000s teams with Nash, Dirk, Van Exel, Finley, I could see that happening. But they have a long way to go and they need a big time free agent in order for that to happen. And I, I talk about all the small moves for now working. 2022, they have a chance to fix what they couldn't do in the 2011 offseason and beyond. Essentially, go after a big name and sign them. 2022 is that free agent class. So that that's basically their best chance of trying to get back to being the first or second best team in the Western Conference. Just basically breaking that cycle of... Uh, swinging and missing, essentially, in terms of the big name phrase. I can understand that because I feel like at the end of the day, there is this duo and, you know, trifecta mentality across the league that if you get two guys next to each other, you get three guys next to each other and they go crazy, you can talk about the rest of the roster all you want to. This this, this, this roster is going to kill. So, I mean, I think that that's an interesting concept to touch on because if you, you it is that one you know, that one piece, it tends to be with some of these teams where you say they get that guy, oh, we might be in the mix for something. So, okay, Lauren, with that being the case, we're coming up on the back back nine of this podcast, and Mm -hmm. I want to ask you something I feel like is really important for any fan in terms of talking about their team um, Mm -hmm. rooting for them next season, which is where do you think that the Dallas Mavericks rank amongst the Western Conference going into next year? As of right now, the way that the roster is currently constructed, I expect them to finish sixth. This is – I'm telling you, she's a real one because somebody would have lied. Somebody would have lied. I'm Maybe you right fifth. Now. Maybe fifth depends. It's so hard with, like, health. And I'm very nervous True. for post-Olympics bubble season, Olympics season. I'm really nervous. I really, really hope we don't get, like, a outlier season. Uh, but I think as of right now, six. I want to ask you a question that I think I'm going to make a running question on the pod <laughs> until the season starts. Ryan, you started this on yourself. <laughs> Ryan says something interesting mm-hmm. to me on another podcast episode we recorded earlier, but this has actually been something that's been brewing for a minute, and I want everybody's take on it as frequently as possible. Mm-hmm. Ryan believes that the Los Angeles Lakers are not a top 10 team in the NBA this season. This season. Mm. What are your thoughts on that take? <laughs> uh, I do believe they are a top 10 team. I will say, I think they would have been better off getting Buddy Heald than Russell Westbrook. Okay. I agree with that. I agree with that. There's, from a fit perspective, I can understand that. From a, Exactly. From a fit perspective. Uh, but that being said, I mean, I guess on the flip side of that, everything that Buddy would have given them, they just signed somebody who does that on, on a vet minimum deal. Mm-hmm. And I just was shocked to see name after name after name. Even, even the Taylor Horton Tucker contract, I was like, seriously? Like, mm-hmm. it just discount after discount and so it kind of just it is what it is but like the spacing Hmm. my brother and I when that deal went down he goes who are you most afraid of shooting the three ball from LA I go Anthony Davis (laughs) okay I'll stand in the paint like I would just stand in the paint and if they kill you from three are they going to do it four times in a row 
No. And right. so, I mean, depends. It depends who you are. If you're, if you're, depends who you are. But if they're going up against Brooklyn, I think they're. I think that's going to be a little bit of a. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. That's but, fair. Yeah, that's where I'm at with that. That's fair, Ryan. I we we have a whole we have a whole barbershop episode dedicated to that. So I'm I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at that in terms of uh in terms of people hearing your take. They'll be able to hear a little bit more of a uh, behind the scenes cut that we got coming out soon in terms of Ryan's belief about this. This is just something that I want to gauge because no, I, like I find it really interesting. Um, as we head into the season, we've gotten the Lakers are old. We've gotten the Lakers don't fit. They don't make sense. And my my point has been with the Lakers. I tried putting a power rankings together because I'm trying to do an article um, sometime this weekend, ranking the teams in the NBA. And I keep just telling myself, like, okay, like, the West didn't really get better. And Kawhi's injured and Javon Murray is out. Roster for roster, man, when you do talent-wise, you can't tell me anybody's better than the Lakers in the West right now. I think maybe you can make some arguments that the that the Nuggets maybe without Jamal Murray still because Nicole Jokic is that guy. But, like, from a roster construction standpoint, like, okay, tell me who's more talented as a roster than the Lakers in the West right now. You could say Utah. They didn't prove it to me. Um, You could say Phoenix. Phoenix got away with murder last year. You could say – I think Ryan argued Dallas. I think that that's tricky because matchup-wise, I think AD matches up with Kristaps almost way too well, um, and that alone is going to be huge in terms of you know defending a team like Dallas. So I think as you go down the board, it's just like if you talk about in a seven-game series, who I'm taking in a championship power ranking, I think that the Lakers, awkwardly enough, despite having the holes they have, are still like one of the better teams in the Western Conference. Nonetheless, nonetheless. Let's kind of hit some of these quick hitters to close out the podcast. We're going to keep it uh, back to Dallas Mavericks talk. I just had to slide that in there. No, quick. I like it. It was awesome. But, um, Lauren, I'm going to start with you. Who do you believe is the most underrated player on your team right now? Oh, God, that's really tough. Um, Most underrated. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Maxi. I think Maxi Kleber is the uh, the most underrated, and you might he might just be on your Chicago Bulls in a couple of weeks. So oh keep man, that, that would mind. be nuts. That would be low key crazy because we need a center bad. Because I am so not looking forward to what our defense is going to look like. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ryan, who do you believe is the most underrated uh, player on the Dallas Mavericks not named Maxi Kleber? Tim Hardaway Jr. and he's definitely proven that he can shoot the three, be a second option. If he can keep it up, that would be great for Dallas. I bang with it. I think Tim Hardaway is the truth, bro. I think people I think people sleep on him because his New York stint wasn't the craziest thing in the world, and where he was drafted wasn't nuts. I'm gonna go with Dorian Finney-Smith. That boy was shooting the heck out of the ball for most of the year last year. The playoffs got kind of dicey when we talk about him shooting from three, but for most of last season, dude was hooping. I I'm not hearing this whole Luca doesn't have a supporting cast thing. I understand Kristaps as the next like superstar next to him is where things get tricky, but in terms of guys around him. Tim Hardaway, Dorian Finney-Smith, I think Willie Colley-Stein is pretty solid. I I think they got they got some dudes. They got some dudes that just need to play up to snuff in terms of like the guys that they are and the kind of skill set that they bring. Um, Lauren, who do you believe is the most improved player on your team? Talking about from 2019-2020 season to last year. 
I'm going to go with Tim. I think he just showed that he's even more multidimensional and that he can step up and be that second option. And to kind of piggyback off of what you said just a second ago, the guys on the Dallas roster, like guys four through 12 or four through 10 are solid. It's mm-hmm. the two through four spot that we kind of need to ramp up to really take that step forward. And so, uh, but Tim, Tim was on another level last season and people were talking about his contract in the Porzingis trade being a liability and, you know, whatever, bad shot selection, all this stuff. And he has shown in the last two years and even more so in the last year that he will take the right shots and that you can, you can, uh, bank or like if he gets hot, there's not a whole lot you can do. So I'm going to go with Tim. Ryan, how about you? Who do you feel like is the most improved player in the Dallas Mavericks? I have to go with Jalen Brunson. I think that given what he's done coming off the bench, can you have him as a guy as, as a secondary ball handler? I think that's going to be the biggest question going forward, but especially with the improvement in points per game, assists per game, rebounds a game, I think that really shows you how much he has improved overall for the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, I mean, even his aggressiveness, right? I mean, he stepped up from 6.8 field goal attempts last year to 9.2, shot uh, 40% from three last year. Like, he was just more aggressive, I feel mm-hmm. like. Like, that was the most thing. I think that was the most important thing with Jalen Brunson. When you play for Villanova, you fall into the system of just being a guy that works well next to others. But I think if you're going to be a, a point guard or an off guard next to Luka Doncic, you got to have a little bit of, I want to get the rock in you. Because I think if... Luca has guys that are open to handling the ball next to him. He's gonna give up the rock. I, this whole yeah. heliocentric thing, I think, has more to do with Luca needing to be able to have trust in the other guys who are holding the rock more so than it is just the mere fact that Luca just needs the ball all the time. Um, the guy I'm gonna go with, I mean, genuinely, I, I'm a, I'm gonna lean on like this. I feel like, man. Luka Doncic has another level that I feel like he can get to. I know that I don't usually do this where I pick like the top guy and say like, oh man, he's actually improved really, like really, like really well. And I don't even think the statistics across the board will tell you that, but I, I feel like Luka was in games a lot more in terms of just like engagement. I think one of the biggest things his, his rookie year and kind of his second season too was like, a lot of this harping on him about, like, his conditioning and stuff. And I feel like it still might sort of be an issue. But I'm not a kid who's been playing, like, a million pro games before he got to the NBA. Like, let's mm-hmm. cut him a certain level of slack. But I just – I feel like there's – I feel like there's even another gear that Luka can go to. But one of the biggest things that stood out to me last year was that down the stretch, I felt like Luka Doncic stepped up in a in a, a way – larger role as a clutch gene guy and i thought think i think that's huge for taking that next step offensively for him um lauren uh mm-hmm. you kind of said this earlier but what seed do you predict your team will finish as next season in the western conference yeah i'm gonna go with i'll give him five i'll give him the fifth seed because i mean when you were talking about some of the injuries that are going to carry over into this next season it will mm-hmm. be interesting to see how that translates and as of right now we don't have anybody that's injured. We are going in fully healthy. And so the expectation should be that we have, I hate to phrase it this way, but a little bit of a leg up on those, those teams. And so as in terms of getting off to a, to a strong start. And so uh, I'm going to give them the fifth seed. Ryan. Fifth seed. I agree. I think that with, with the talent that this team has, this really is the fifth best team in the West. And I think if everything goes according to plan, I think that Luka could end up being a dark horse candidate for MVP. I think Moses Brown, who I think will be a great addition to your team, 
he could end up being a guy that steps up as possibly a starting uh, member of the front court or even just getting some solid minutes in the bat and in the uh, front court coming off the bench. But yeah, I just think that it's just about how will you improve coming off of last season? I'm going to go four, and this is out of the fact that I'm just looking at the landscape of things. The Trailblazers are up in air. The Nuggets are interesting because without Jamal Murray for a whole season, how does that go as opposed to like 20-plus games? The Clippers have to take some kind of step back with not having Kawhi Leonard to understand the whole load management thing would make you believe like, hey, they played without him before. But for a whole season, I think you're asking a lot of him. And I don't think the Lakers are going to be a regular season team. There's a lot of days where I'm going to see some DMPs from guys that like are, you know, from LeBron James, AD. You can try sending Russell Westbrook down. I don't know if that's going to work out for you, but I mean, hey, they'll, they'll try it. They'll try to figure it out. So I, I just I feel like Dallas is I mean, plus Dallas has gotta be pissed off with ended up in the fifth seed like consistently, right? It seems like that's what keeps biting them in this 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 four or five matchup where they keep catching the Clippers. Like I think that's one of the few things that they if anything, they want to right the ship and be on the right side of that that home court advantage by being the fourth seed. I think they chase it. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm gonna go with four. And uh Lauren, we always like to end these off by letting the fan get the last word. So really you can go wherever you want to go with this one. You can talk Dallas, you can talk what's going on with you from mm-hmm. a life standpoint, what's going on with you in terms of your content, and the floor mm-hmm. is yours. Oh man, I like that. Um man, I guess I'll I'll keep it consistent with the Mavs. Uh one of the biggest things that I'm looking at, especially moving forward or, or well, actually let me let me start with this. The two things that I'm wondering if they're going to happen and I think that there's a reasonable enough chance to that they will happen for me to even consider talking about them is the Mavs acquiring Goran Dragic and the Mavs acquiring Lowry Markkinen. I think they there's a chance that they come away with both and are able to do so. And so I think that that's going to be very fascinating because I know a lot of people look at that and they're like, why in the world would Dallas want Lowry Markkinen? He's another version of KP. Why would you want that if you're Dallas? And so uh, I continue to harp on, with KP, the number one thing is that you don't want him to get re-injured. And so if you have someone like Markkinen, you allow him to continue to load manage and you can expect Markkinen to step up and be in that starting role when KP is load managing. And having Markkinen, he would not start, which he's he's going to be the second best big man on our team, but he would not start solely because of the fit, but he could still play 25 minutes a game and have a significant role. And playing with a guy like Luka Doncic, who has so much draws so much attention to him, it's going to open things up for Markkinen. And so it could be signing him, acquiring him via sign and trade, making between 10 to 15 million a year, which would at the max, if it was 15 million a year, would still be 10 million, sometimes 15 million less than what Porzingis is making. So in the long run, that gives you flexibility with Porzingis in terms of what player you might try to go trade Porzingis for and expect in return. Um, so there are lots of options with the Markkinen thing, and, and there are so many reasons as to why uh, he should, he would, he would be a good acquisition for Dallas. And then obviously Goran, for all the reasons we talked about, the secondary playmaking, the experience, uh, the relationship with Luca, the reuniting with not just Luca, but also the Slovenian national coach, who's now an assistant coach on our roster. It just, there are so many pieces and it will be really interesting to, to see what things look like because you won't have added that, like what we were talking about before, the two, three, four spot, you won't have necessarily added a super overwhelming name, but you added a level of depth by bringing in the secondary playmaker that's going to allow some of the the weight to be taken off Luca. And you've also brought in bench depth with with Markkinen, who 
there's not going to be this pressure for Porzingis to put up 25 and 12. He could put up 20, and we can get away with it if Markkinen is putting up 15 off the bench. And so it's there are there are lots of of options there. And if Porzingis has the season that we're hoping he he, he does have, it will be really interesting to see how things shake out come playoff time. Yeah, the Dallas Mavericks are a really interesting team because they're the ones who got the offseason popping the most. Honestly, they were the ones who took headlines first. And they're the team that are gonna the team that's gonna be probably one of the most interesting in the Western Conference with the fact that a lot of the talent is depleted, so a lot of eyes are gonna be on Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic was the odds on favorite going into last season, uh in terms of preseason odds as the potential league MVP, I would not be surprised if he was somewhere in the top three to five in that preseason poll come a couple of weeks from now. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how the Dallas Mavericks go into this season in terms of their lineup. Like Lauren said before, and it seems like they got a couple more moves in them. Let's see if they actually pull them off. Um, Ryan, it's been a solid episode, bro. Get us up out of here. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, do you believe that Chris Sepp's Porzingis will be a Dallas Maverick by the end of the 2021-2022 season? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We want to once again thank our guest Lauren Gunn for coming on and talking about some Dallas Mavericks basketball with us. And on that note, we will see you guys next episode. Peace!